Welcome to the Jeremiah Patterson Show, and thank you so very much for joining me today. Happy Sunday, June 7th. On June 11th, 1963, President John F. Kennedy delivered a speech to the nation. He addressed our nation from the Oval Office. It was sort of a presidential address to the nation because of the situation that was going on in Birmingham. We're going to get to that later, but listen to how President Kennedy calmed the nation during such a hard time. This nation was founded by men of many nations and backgrounds. It was founded on the principle that all men are created equal and that the rights of every man are diminished when the rights of one man are threatened. It ought to be possible, in short, for every American to enjoy the privileges of being American without regard to his race or his color. In short, every American ought to have the right to be treated as he would wish to be treated as one would wish uh, his children to be treated. But this is not the case. One hundred years of delay have passed since President Lincoln freed the slaves, yet their heirs, their grandsons, are not fully free. They are not yet freed from the bonds of injustice. They are not yet, not yet freed from social and economic oppression. And this nation, for all its hopes and all its boasts, will not be fully free until all its citizens are free. We are confronted primarily with a moral issue. It is as old as the scriptures and is as clear as the American Constitution. It cannot be met by repressive police action. It cannot be left to increase demonstrations in the streets. It cannot be quieted by token moves or talk. It is a time to act in the Congress, in your state, and local legislative body, and above all, in all of our daily lives. Those who do nothing are inviting shame as well as violence. Those who act boldly are recognizing right as well as reality. Quote, this nation for all its hopes and all its boasts will not be fully free until all its citizens are free. End quote. Once again, that's President John F. Kennedy on June 11th, 1963, delivering this speech on civil rights, talking about the situation in Birmingham. Uh, he delivered that powerful speech on civil rights and how we have not changed much as a nation. He made that statement because of the violence that was erupting in the South, in particular, Birmingham, Alabama. And it started on May, t uh, on May 11th, 1963, so this was just one day before Mother's Day, so Mother's Day is on May 10th. And so May 11th, 1963, this would be the day after Mother's Day. It was just a day, but uh, this day, it was just a day before, it was just a day before that the city's business leaders had finally reached an agreement with its black residents, which was led by Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, so, so the, the city had finally reached an agreement with this, with the business leaders and the black residents and also with Dr. So Dr. Martin Luther King was there and also some other business leaders from the city. And also Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth. And the issue was desegregation and the hiring of African Americans for jobs that were long denied to them. Now this agreement came after weeks of African American demonstrations in the city, but it also infuriated the KKK when this event was finally settled, when everything was finally said and done and signed and put into action and put into force, it infuriated the KKK because they wanted no peace. 
no civil rights for African-Americans. All they wanted was hate, injustice, and racial inequality for African-Americans. And also it's police protectors, which is overseen by Birmingham's racist public safety commissioner, Eugene Connor, or they like to call him Bull Connor. Eugene Bull Connor. And his ideological views were racist and diametrically opposed to the civil rights movement. In other words, he did not care about African-Americans. He didn't want African-Americans to have peace or any civil rights or any rights guaranteed them or any rights guaranteed to them because they're anything but American. But then something bad happened. The Birmingham protest movement had its headquarters at the Gaston Motel in Birmingham, Alabama an establishment that was owned by a prominent black man, by one of the city's most prominent black businessmen. Dr. King and other members were staying at that same motel, at the same Gaston Motel. Word then spread that the Klan were planning to retaliate against the Birmingham Agreement by bombing the same hotel that Dr. King was staying at with other members of the black leadership. So they had just finished the... So they had just finished this agreement dr king and the other members of the black leadership they are staying there at this hotel and the kkk was planning to bomb this hotel in retaliation when eugene connor got word of the plot he rejected the advice of visiting the police chief from albany georgia instead uh, who urged him to set up a conspicuous presence outside of the motel to protect Dr. King and the other black leaders. In other words, he won. There was advice, someone advised Eugene Connor to set up a presence outside of that same hotel so that if anyone would, so that if the KKK would try to retaliate and bomb that, and bomb the Gaston Motel where President, excuse me, not President, where Dr. King was staying at, they would then go away because the police were on the scene. But he rejected that notion, he dismissed that notion, and instead he said, this quote i'm not yes and, and 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 he declared he wasn't going to quote guard that blank son of a blank end quote so the bombing happened and it rocked the motel so the bombing did happen because eugene connor dismissed the notion he refused to protect dr king and the other members of the black leadership because as i said his ideological views were racist the sound of the explosion was so loud that it woke up residents throughout Birmingham. Bars and pools in the, in the nearby neighborhood emptied. Black citizens began running towards the motel to see what they could do. The dynamite knocked out a wall, shattered multiple windows, and ripped apart the office. Just below the office was room 30. So the, the motel had an office. There was an office in the motel. So just below... The, the Gaston Motel office was room 30, which was Dr. King's suite. A mob outside was seeking vengeance uh, against the perpetrators who executed this attack. So they were looking for people who executed this attack. They were looking for the perpetrators who deliberately did this, trying to kill Dr. King and other members of the black leadership in retaliation for finally getting this agreement settled because they did not want peace, they did not want civil rights for African-Americans. So then that happened. Dr. King was spared because he had left the previous day to go preach at a church in Atlanta the following Sunday. But even Dr. King, but even though Dr. King was still alive, riots ripped through the city. And then another bad thing happened. 
someone bombed A.D. King's house, and A.D. King is Dr. King's brother. By 4.30 a.m. at Mother's Day, as Mother's Day, as Mother's Day dawned, the city of Birmingham was in devastation like a city in the aftermath of a wartime assault. And it was devastating. The riots ripped through the city, there was violence everywhere, and it was pernicious. The unrest had spread over 28 blocks. 50 people were wounded, one policeman was stabbed, and scores of cars and police vehicles annihilated, including some that were even burned. And six small stores, including a two-story apartment building, went up in flames. These rioters were intimidated and terrified by what felt like perpetual violence and police brutality against African Americans, not only in Birmingham, Alabama, but across the United States of America during that time. Later that day, President John F. Kennedy touched down on the South Lawn of the White House in an Army helicopter. His Attorney General and his brother, Robert Francis Kennedy, assembled inside the Oval Office, along with four top figures from the U.S. military. This was declared an emergency meeting, and in the meeting, they essentially debated whether more violence was necessary or more violence was on the way, whether federal troops should step in to control the situation, and also whether the agreement between the black community and Birmingham business leaders was in peril. In other words, if this agreement was in danger, in other words, if this agreement was being threatened by the KKK and ideological extremists in Birmingham, Alabama. And so President Kennedy knew he needed to be compassionate, flexible, and well-informed. So without putting gasoline on the fire, analogically speaking, the president wanted to surreptitiously hear from the civil rights leaders. Therefore, Burke Marshall, which was the assistant attorney general at the time, which had helped navigate the agreement to fruition, had spoken to Dr. King. He then rushed back to Birmingham, urging, black, urging, urging blacks to stay off the streets. Marshall told President Kennedy, quote, he intends to go around the city and visit pool halls and salons and talk to the Negroes and preach against violence, end quote. So at this point, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King is heading back to Birmingham to preach against violence and urge nonviolence instead, as he has seen what the riots have already, <clears throat> as he has seen the conspicuous damage and the conspicuous calamitous, uh, that, that was already being presented on TV. There we go. Okay. So back in Washington, President Kennedy wanted to hear more from Dr. King. He asked Marshall, which was the assistant attorney general, to get Dr. King on the phone. So Marshall went to another room and he called up Dr. King. Meanwhile, in the Oval Office, President Kennedy read a news report that cited Dr. King. This news report said, quote, said today the new outburst would make it mandatory to take a forthright stand against the indignities which Negro citizens still face, end quote. Essentially what that statement is, essentially what that statement means is that based on the most recent conspicuous violence <clears throat> and the most recent conspicuous outrage, there is still indication of humiliation 
and degradation of black Americans in the United States. Meaning it is not over and it never was over. Even though President Lincoln freed the slaves in 19, in eight, excuse me, in, in 1863, which only freed slaves in the South, which was the Emancipation Proclamation. Even though the president did that back in 1863, even though slavery may have been abolished, quote, this nation for all its hopes and all its boasts will not be fully free until all citizens are free. That means blacks, whites, Latinos, Asians. It doesn't matter. If one race is considered free and delineated as free, and not all races, then we are not the land of the free, which is cited in the national anthem. We cannot declare ourselves a liberated nation if not all races are free. We cannot declare ourselves a liberated nation if one race feels like they are anything but American. When they took the oath and they became citizens of this great country the day they crossed the border. The day they took the oath to become a citizen in the United States. And so that is essentially what is going on here. Quote, this nation, for all its hopes, for all its boast, will not be fully free until all its citizens are free, end quote. Even though we are a nation of hope, even though we are a nation of boasting about things we have because we are delineated as one of the richest nations on earth, we will not be fully free until all races are free. All races, not just one race not just whites, all races, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, all races. So that essentially is what's going on here. That essentially is what Dr. Martin Luther King is saying here. Essentially, Marshall later returns to the Oval Office, having asked Dr. King what kind of statement that he advised the president to make. Dr. King just simply hoped the president would steer people away from violence. In other words, call for peace. Do not encourage violence. Do not throw gasoline on the fire. So it goes on here. And according to Marshall, call on, quote, everyone to be decent and respectful of law and order, end quote. Dr. King said that as long as there weren't any more bombs or any other lethal incidents, he expected the residents to stay calm. However, if the Birmingham business leaders reversed themselves and rejected the agreement, well then, Dr. King warned, quote, I can't control the people. In other words, if the Birmingham business leaders go back against their word, I can't control the people if they get outraged again, if they start engaging in riots again, I won't be able to control the people because the people, I mean, because the business leaders went back against their word when they were supposed to stick to their word and honor their promises. Furthermore, at 9 p.m., President John F. Kennedy addressed the nation for barely a minute. This June 11th, 1963 address was not the address that I'm referring to. It was a different one. He said that he was, quote, deeply concerned, end quote, about the events in Birmingham and mentioned the bombings of A.D. King's house and the Gaston Motel. He also added that the government was ready to do whatever necessary to, quote, preserve order to protect the lives of its citizens and to uphold the law of the land, end quote. 
Nevertheless, he adulated the Birmingham Agreement, calling it, quote, fair and just accord, end quote. He then promised that the federal government would not allow it, quote, to be sabotaged by a few extremists on, other, on either side, end quote. He called upon the residents of Birmingham to, quote, to realize that violence only breeds more violence and that goodwill and good faith are most important now, end quote. President Kennedy concluded that statement, that Oval Office address, by making it clear that he was that he would use force to maintain order and to ensure the agreement was enforced. At the time, he was dispatching troops trained in riot gear, trained in riot control to military bases located near Birmingham, and he was also taking preparatory steps to federalize the Alabama National Guard should their deployment become necessary. The city of Birmingham then fell silent. Everyone is calm. Everything became silent. King's sermon helped preserve the peace, but echoing of its unrest were transpiring around the nation. Demonstrations erupted in Jackson, Mississippi, Raleigh, North Carolina, which then spread to the north, sparking violent clashes in the New York City neighborhood of Harlem then that same thing happened in Philadelphia, Chicago, Cy Syracuse, excuse me if I'm pronouncing that wrong, New York, and New Rochelle, New York as well. The intensification of protests led to Kennedy and his staff moving expeditiously toward a dramatic solution to begin drafting legislation to propose to Congress. Then, on June 11, 1963, after the Alabama governor, George Wallace, stood in the schoolhouse of the University of Alabama to block black students from enrolling in that school. President John F. Kennedy decided this was enough and he had to address the nation. And so at 8 p.m. that night, with his black suit, white shirt, and black tie, President John F. Kennedy looked into the lens of the camera and he addressed the nation. He announced plans to introduce civil rights legislation, and then he did something that he had never done before. He embraced black justice. The early King biographer, Lee Ron Bennett Jr. wrote, quote, Kennedy made an abrupt turn and, accept, and accepted the mantle of moral leadership King had urged upon him, end quote. In other words, he was accepting the leadership that King told him that King had urged him to do. He called for peace. He did not throw gasoline on the fire, but he quenched the fire. That is the sign of a good leader. Moral, ethical, calming, empathetic, empathetic leadership. Time Magazine, uh, Alex... Altman from Time Magazine writes, quote, Since George Floyd died on May 25th, demonstrations have erupted in scores of cities across the country as veteran activists and newfound allies alike rally to the cause of racial justice. The vast majority of the protests have been peaceful with simple demands handwritten on torn pieces of cardboard. Enough is enough. Stop killing us. Justice for George Floyd. Those pleas have resonated around the world, producing expressions of solidarity from Europe to New Zealand. 
end quote. Then it goes on to say, quote, since the start of his term, the president has turned the Oval Office into an instrument of racial, ethnic, and cultural division. A man who both sided a white supremacist march went to war with NFL players protesting police brutality, called African nations, quote, blink hole countries, end quote, and told American congresswomen of color to go back to where, to quote, go back, end quote, to where they came from, was never going to appeal for harmony now. Trump called demonstrators, quote, thugs, end quote, threatened them with, quote, vicious dogs, end quote, and borrowed a popular, excuse me, and borrowed a racist, popularized uh, phrase by the Miami police chief, Walter Headley, which said in 1967, quote, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, end quote, essentially inciting violence. So in other words, hey, if you see someone looting, go shoot them. That's what the president is basically encouraging people to do. He's encouraging violence. You see what I'm trying to say here? President Kennedy in 1963, he did not throw gasoline on the fire. He quenched the fire. The president here is throwing as much gasoline in the fire as he can. Oh, shoo, 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 shoo. Anyways, that Time Magazine piece goes on to say, quote, from 2015 to 2019, according to statistics compiled by the Washington Post, Police shot and killed 962 to 1,004 Americans each year. Black Americans are nearly three times as much likely as white people to be killed by police, according to the database mapping police violence. A president threatening to unleash the military on citizens? How much more can the country bear? The 45th president has exacerbated the tensions between police and communities across the country, unwinding some of the key justice reform measures that President Obama had championed. Trump's first attorney general, Jeff Sessions, reinstated a program that allowed the Pentagon to send state and local officials, yes, to send state and local police forces surplus military equipment like arm like armored vehicles grenade launchers bayonets and battering rams end quote from this time magazine piece when the civil rights unrest transpired in 1963 birmingham alabama the nation uh birmingham in birmingham alabama the nation was on fire, but President Kennedy quenched that fire with his calming and empathetic leadership. But here in 2020, the president is Donald Trump. He called peaceful protesters, quote, terrorist, end quote, and had them spontaneously pushed back while they were exercising their first admitment right, end quote. This country is not a dictatorship. We do not have authoritarian presidents or dictatorial presidents. But the way Donald Trump is acting is dictatorial and is authoritarian. The question is not, is the president going to go diametrically full authoritarian? But it's how we as a nation respond to that question. It's how we as a nation respond to it.
Do we embrace it? Do we love it? Do we condone it? Or do we condemn it? Or do we step up as American citizens and go to the polls and vote in November? Or do we just sit back and give him more four years? Another four years of chaotic, bizarre, racist, inciting violence. Do we give him more of that? If the president is going to throw gasoline on the fire, we as Americans have to quench that fire ourselves by speaking louder. Sometimes actions speak louder than words. So if the president's not going to put out the fire, then it's our jobs as citizens to put out the fire ourselves by going to the polls and vote in November. Not just in November, but in your local state legislators to vote. To vote. Voting is essential. It's your constitutional right. Politico writes, quote, On Thursday, several protesters in the Washington chapter of Black Lives Matter filed a lawsuit against Trump, along with, the other, along with other law enforcement leadership they identified as leading the Monday clash, accusing them of violating the protesters' rights to free assembly and freedom from unreasonable seizure, end quote. So the president has just been sued for inciting violence here and causing, just pushing them back to have a photo op with the Holy Bible. The Holy Bible is not a prop. As I said before, we are here now in 2020. The president is Donald Trump. It is not June 11th, 1963, even though you can dream back and go back to June 11th, 1963 and understand and also meticulously analyze the historical perspective back then. But we are not there. We are here. It is 2020. Last night, I was watching a movie with my family. We paused the movie to get up and go get some snacks out the kitchen. I know this is not the time for a short story, but it makes sense. When I went to the kitchen, uh, my phone was charging on the kitchen counter. I got my phone, I looked at it, and I got a notification from ABC News. That notification said that the president wanted to send 10,000 troops to every American city in Washington, D.C. to end the peaceful protest. What is so wrong with peaceful protesters in the United States? What is so wrong with people demanding the federal government and also systems all over the United States to get up and recognize the racial injustice against black Americans in this country? That is still transpiring. It was never over when President Lincoln freed the slaves. It was never over when segregation ended. It was never, ever, 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 ever over. It's still taking place to this day. Of course, you can go outside and people may look at you sideways. Of course. Oh, oh, he's in that car? Wow. The stereotyping, the racial comments. It was never over. It is still here. We are in 2020 and there's something that needs to be done about it. But if they aren't going to do anything about it, if our local and state legislators and people who are running the country right now, people who are in Congress and our state representatives, if they aren't going to do anything about it, 
if they are going to put out the fire, then it is up to us to put out the fire ourselves and go to the polls and vote them out of office. Vote people in that will actually effectuate change. That is what we're going to have to do in November in every upcoming state election and city election. Your mayor's office, your state legislator's office, your representative's office, your congresswoman or congressman's office. Vote. V-O-T-E. Vote. That is the one word tweet that President Obama once tweeted just a couple weeks ago. Vote. In this world where people are staying at home, many of life's moments are being put on hold. At Carvana, we understand that for some, getting a car just can't wait. That's why the new way to buy and sell a car is also the safer way. At Carvana, you can do it all 100% online from home with a touchless delivery and pickup process to keep you safe. And for even greater peace of mind, all Carvana cars come with a seven-day return policy. So if you need to keep moving, it's our goal to keep you safe. Check out Carvana, the safer way to buy a car. Welcome back. The Wall Street Journal has been doing some excellent reporting on why the White House Coronavirus Task Force is not meeting anymore. We are still in the midst of a pandemic, and that means this needs to be addressed. Um, we are first sequestered in our homes and told to stay in our homes because of the coronavirus pandemic. Many people were mystified, intimidated, and also terrified by this virus. This virus has taken more than 108,000 Americans. That's how many people have died from this pandemic. I have reported on this podcast and on this YouTube channel about the president's downplaying of the pandemic, of the coronavirus pandemic. Millions of people uh, have died worldwide. And this pandemic is devastating. It is devastating. The United States has well more than 1 million cases of the novel coronavirus. And we are still here. We are still in the midst of a pandemic. The Wall Street Journal reports, quote, the White House Coronavirus Task Force is meeting less frequently. The government's top infectious disease expert is getting little face time with President Trump, and the administration's virus testing coordinator is returning to his previous job. Mr. Trump's advisors have told the president there is little political advantage to continuing to talk about the pandemic and that fewer Americans are paying attention. Quote, I just think the fight has moved on, end quote, one advisor said. So one advisor has told the president, I just think the American people have moved on. I just think the American people have moved on and that this pandemic is over, end quote. So that, that was from the Wall Street Journal piece. Obviously, this pandemic is not over. The coronavirus is still here with us. It has not gone away. It is still a serious and lethal threat to Americans. It is still imperative that people go out. When they go out, they wear a mask. It is still imperative that when people go out, they take the necessary preventative health measures to protect themselves and their children from getting the coronavirus. Because, as I have reported on this show, the inflammatory, the child syndrome inflammatory disease is out there now multiple cases being reported in new york and also in florida we are seeing now multiple people being threatened by their jobs for speaking out and being courageous and ethical leadership is being threatened and also moral leadership is being threatened 
If you recall on this show, I reported a couple of episodes ago, a couple of weeks ago, I reported on this show that the president, uh, not the president, but in Florida, Governor, the Ronda Santez administration, uh, they manipulate, they force, they, they try to compel a, a Florida scientist to manipulate her data to essentially not report factual information, not report the real numbers, but rather report apocryphal information. It's so sad that you rather have people die and report apocryphal information than have people live and realize the truth. We are still in the midst of a pandemic. This pandemic is not over. It has not gone away. The coronavirus is still here and we still have work to do. Social distancing needs to still be in place. People need to see, people need to keep wearing masks. Keep taking the preventative health measures to protect yourself, your family, and others from the coronavirus. It is still here. It has not gone away. Quote, the coronavirus task force is now meeting roughly two or three times a week, down from every day at the beginning of the outbreak. And fewer people attend the meetings. A White House official said Dr. Anthony Fauci, an infectious disease expert who became the unofficial face of the government's response, said on Monday that he had not spoken to or met with Mr. Trump in two weeks. Wow, that, that's astonishing. Let me go on. Dr. Fauci and other administration health officials continue to speak publicly about the virus in media interviews, but with less frequency than at height of the pandemic, end quote. So does the White House just think this whole thing has gone away? Does the White House just think, ah, pandemic's over? Yeah, yeah. We've had enough being sequestered in our homes. Pandemic's over. Who cares? Part of the reason why the 1918 Spanish flu got so bad was because President Woodrow Wilson at the time, he was, like, he was sworn in on March 4th, 1913, Part of the reason why the Spanish flu got so bad back in 1918 was because President Woodrow Wilson never addressed the pandemic. He never explicitly and publicly and overtly talked about the pandemic. And that is why 675,000 Americans died from that pandemic in 1918. We are now here in 2020. More than 108,000 Americans have died from the coronavirus pandemic. How many more lives have to be taken before the president understands the severity of this earnest situation. The pandemic is not over. It is still here. Wall Street Journal also reports, quote, but the president's lack of public focus on the pandemic is alarming many health experts who fear that Mr. Trump is sending a message to the public that the virus is no longer a serious threat. Quote, we're very concerned that our public health message is not resonating. This was the CDC director. The head of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention told a House committee Thursday. Quote, the president's focus on other topics has prompted allegations from Mr. Trump's critics that he's trying to paper over a national tragedy and distract from some public health experts and distract from what some public health experts call the administration's inadequate early response to the virus, end quote. Once again, the Wall Street Journal's remarkable reporting. Uh, this is from Andrew Restuccia. The pandemic is still here. The coronavirus is still here. People are still dying from this pandemic. The states that are reopening, they can reopen because their citizens take the necessary health preventative measures to protect themselves from contracting this disease. Many people are still dying. This pandemic is still here. It is still real. 
On Memorial Day, when we were nearly about to reach 100,000 deaths, the president was golfing. If you recall on the Biden campaign ad that the Biden campaign really set at the president golfing while well, we were about to reach 100,000 deaths. When we reached 100,000 deaths, all the president thought it was a good idea to do was tweet a debunked conspiracy theory about an MSNBC host instead of addressing the pandemic and doing a a presidential address from the Oval Office about the pandemic. The president showed no empathy towards that unfathomable number, 100,000. 100,000 lives were lost that day. 100,000 lives. Over the span of months, 100,000 lives is where we are because of the downplaying the no seriousness to this pandemic, the no serious leadership. This pandemic is real. It was real from the beginning. Where's the leadership? They backed out then, and it looks like they're backing out further now. Obviously, they think this pandemic is over. This pandemic is much very still real. People are still dying from this pandemic, and it is still here. And it doesn't look like it's going anywhere anytime soon. So please address this pandemic while we still can save lives. If we want to avoid another 100,000 lives, address the pandemic, understand the severity and earnest request of this pandemic and get to work while we still can. We cannot afford to lose another 100,000 lives. This is not 1918. This is 2020. Let's not repeat the same mistake that was so reached in 1918 where 675,000 Americans died from the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic because of President Woodrow Wilson's downplaying. This is a health crisis, not a joke. We got work to do. If you looked at America like a bird and that was all you knew, would you really understand it with just that point of view? We've got a different way to look at it from right here on the ground. We don't just see United States, we see United Towns. From where we sit, just down the street, near the post office, by the park, when we stop and look around, what we see are sparks. Sparks of hope, of compassion, of communities who stand firm, where neighbors lift each other up, expecting nothing in return. We're grateful for what you bring and all the sparks you've shown and the thousands of towns that we get to call home. Listen to the Jeremiah Patterson Show wherever you get your podcast and make sure to share it with your family and friends. A woman so graceful, so fine and beautiful. A woman with a penchant for everything elegant. A woman with poise and refined choice. My dear grandmother, like you, there is no other. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to my Mimi and thank you so much for being such a great inspiration in my life. And also thank you for inspiring me to start this podcast, The Jeremiah Patterson Show, which now has lots of great listeners. 
And thank you for watching today's episode. Oh, not watching. Thank you for listening to the, for today. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show, if you are listening to the podcast. And if you're watching me on YouTube, thank you so very much for watching me on YouTube and listening. Thank you for being with me today on this Sunday. Happy Sunday. God bless. Stay safe. Stay hopeful. And please stay indoors. The coronavirus is not going away yet. God bless. Have a great weekend.